Thank you so much for joining the Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. This month, we are taking a small break from our master class series. We hope you've been enjoying that. We'll pick that back up in January. For the next four weeks, we will be orienting ourselves around Jesus through Advent. So over the next four weeks, you'll hear us talk about hope, love, joy, and peace. And maybe you are like me, who never heard of Advent growing up. I'm so excited to share this liturgical, historical practice with you. And don't forget, we have a lot of activities coming up around Generation Church that we would love for you to be a part of. Head over to our website, mygenerations.church, to sign up and see those events. We hope that you enjoy today's teaching. So this is the second Sunday of Advent. Today's scripture reading is Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, and it says, Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant people, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born, and he named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I myself said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindiction is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. For the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Last week we talked about waiting for a long promised event, the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, with hope. Today let's talk about waiting for peace, or more precisely, the Prince of Peace. Our language and culture mostly thinks of peace as not fighting, whether between persons, groups, or nations. But in the language and culture of the Bible, the concept of peace, or shalom, is bigger and more complex. More than just not fighting, shalom refers to wholeness, completeness, I can read, I promise, promise, don't worry, well-being, and even includes the process of restoring to wholeness that which has been broken down. Humans have problems with shalom, with others, because we are not at peace in ourselves until we come to rest in Jesus. Without Jesus, we are not whole or complete. We are broken down. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to show us what human wholeness and completeness is meant to be like. Father sent Jesus to make it possible to adopt us into their kingdom, family, to give us peace and wholeness so that we can grow to be like him and help shine the light of that salvation brightly to all nations. Today, we relight the candle of hope and then light the candle of peace. Will you guys bow with me? God, we 
thank you so much for the hope that you give us. Lord, and we thank you for the peace that you bring us. God, we ask that you just speak through Kyle this morning, that we can all grow closer to you, and that we can be closer with you. And in your name, amen. Thank you, Richard and Amanda, for that. Once again, we light the candle. You guys did such a good job. Yeah, first try, right from the outset. Beautiful. And we light this candle, not because of some magic or of some requirement. We light these candles because it quiets us for a second. You notice when... They were there to light the candle. It was a little bit fickle, but it lit. There was a little bit of silence. Because see, flames are fickle. Sometimes they want to catch and take hold, and other times they, not quite, they don't quite want to do that. And the right confines, heat, flame, brings warmth and light. Outside of certain confines, it wreaks havoc and devastation. The burning down of things isn't always bad. Cleansing and new growth can come when something is destroyed. And as the many layers of fire could be unpacked, so too could the many layers of peace. At a first glance, peace may seem like the absence of conflict or the absence of difficulty or simply the presence of comfort. If we simply reduce the definitions of peace to what it isn't or to the status of our comfort, of our life, then we miss the richness and nuance of in true power of peace. Advent, that word meaning coming or arrival, purposefully chooses peace because Advent looks back on what has happened in Christ's first coming and looks forward to Christ's second coming. There are four words that come with Advent, love, joy, peace, and hope. And so today in the second Sunday of Advent, that, again, that word meaning coming, we look back at Christ's bringing of peace. And we look forward to the day when he will bring total and true peace to this earth once again. In both cases, the first coming and as we look forward to the second coming, God sought and seeks to bring peace to earth. The irony is that God brings peace by declaring war on sin, suffering, and evil. God brings peace by declaring war on sin, suffering, and evil. How does God declare war? We catch a glimpse of this in the writing of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet that stood between the times, stood between the, the creation of the world and the coming of the promised one. And it was a time of conflict. It was actually the conflict between Persia and Babylon, two ancient powerful nations that actually led to the freedom and release of Israel to whom Isaiah was a prophet for. Israel was in captivity as 
they were being purified to understand their purpose in the world, to be a light to all nations. Unfortunately, their presence among the nation of Babylon did not realign them as much as Isaiah would have hoped. They were still complaining about sin, suffering, and pain. And God's solution to minimize sin, suffering, and pain was his people. They were to be a one who represents the good, the true, and the living God amongst the world and the nations. But they failed to do this well. And so Isaiah writes four songs about a future servant who will do what Israel failed to do. Last week we looked at the first song. That song was written in third person. Over the next two weeks, the next two songs that Isaiah pens comes from the perspective of the servant, the first person perspective. And what's so amazing is to hear from the future servant about how his work in the world will go. How the song is written tells us about how the servant will care for people and be a bringer of peace. So let me read that again in the first person from the perspective of the servant. Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. And he hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow and hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I myself said I have labored and toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength, he says. It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I also make you a light for the nations." To be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, His Holy One says. To the one who is despised, to the one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers, kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. I want to make a couple observations about that passage. First, the servant's purpose is clear. He says, the servant says, the Lord has called me before I was born. In verse 5, to bring Jacob, referring to God's family, back to him. And finally, to be a light to the nation. To bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation is a peace-making mission. The core idea of peace, translated from the word shalom, is that life is complex, full of moving parts, relationships, and situations. So that when these are out of alignment, that shalom, that peace breaks down. Therefore, peace means to make complete. To take what is broken and make it whole. 
to take what's out of alignment and bring it back into alignment. Not simply to stop fighting, but to move from the adversary to tolerance, to standing and working together. See, there's a continuum there. That, that sometimes we think peace just means, okay, we're not, we're not going to be at odds with one another. We're not going to butt heads. And so we're just going to kind of coexist in the same place. But peace goes further than that. Not simply to coexist, to say we can be in the same room and not go off on each other or not be passive aggressive, or, or just, but to go from to advocating and standing beside each other and working together. To, to go from how do I work for the good of that person to advocating for that person, not just simply going, okay, they're in the room, so I'm going to kind of duck and hide and maybe avoid them. And look, we can be in the same space together. No, it's to work, to restore that relationship. See, true salvation is both a rescue from and a restoration to it takes us out of a place of being adversary, out of, out of a place of being against one another and with God and rescuing us and then repairing that relationship. Making that relationship first complete and right with God and then seeing that worked out in our everyday relationships. So the servant is confident in what he is to do. He is to help people make peace with God and make peace with others. But others won't see it clearly. It says, in the shadow of his hand. And he hid me in his quiver. Swords and arrows were used for war. The people of God had just experienced the benefits of war. That's how they got their freedom. Was because Persia conquered Babylon. And the king of Persia, who God used, said, Hey, we should let this people go who are being oppressed. We should bring freedom. We should send them back to their land. And in this case, God has made an instrument of war in his servant, but he chooses not to use him as that weapon. You see, what God has made this servant for a purpose, describes him as a sword and describes him as a, an arrow be, to be very effective. He is not going to be used as the sword in the sense or the picture that we would have of how we might use a sword or an arrow. Rather, how the servant does his work will be a direct reflection on God. See, the servant works in the way of God without apparent success. Listen to his words. He says, I have labored in vain. If his purpose is to bring people back to God, then in vain, as people aren't really returning. The servant is at work within the world. He knows his purpose. He knows his role. He's fulfilling that. He's doing it. And yet people aren't responding. It seems fruitless. It seems futile. And as I look at that passage, and I think of this servant being crafted and created for a purpose, doing precisely what he is designed to do, Yet it seems from the onlooker as if it's not fulfilling in the way that we would think that using a sword and an arrow might need to be used. As I look at that passage and I see the servant going, I'm working hard. I'm being faithful with what God has asked me to do. Yet it seems like people aren't responding. If 
Well, I may say so, I don't like that. I don't like the idea that you can work hard, you can put your hand to the plow, that you can do precisely what God has asked you to do and see no apparent success. See, I'm a success-driven individual. So if it takes 100 calls to make one sale, you best believe that I'm going to make 200 calls to get two sales. I mean, you've got to put in the work. I'm pushing for more. I don't like that I may critique every idol and affirm every goodness that I see within you. And the end result is that people may think a different path is better than the way of God. You can show and you can share. You can model and can tell. You can point to Jesus. You can point to the way of God. You can affirm where God is at work in people's life, and yet they may still see something is better. Through the servant, God says, I know. Not the pithy little, oh, I understand, and then secretly whisper behind the back, oh, they're crazy. They, 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 don't, they don't got it. But the kind of, I know that, and therefore, God sits with us in flesh. That the servant sits with us in our pain. And I'll use the PG word here, but says, that stinks. I know you're working hard. I know you're trying to be faithful. And you're wondering, why isn't things getting better in your life? You see little glimpses of hope, little moments of breakthrough, but overall... It's not quite what you hope. And he says, you know, they didn't listen to me either. Hang in there. As I say some of this, some of you feel deeply what I'm saying. Others may say, and that's a lot of passion to like try to get people to move and work and be faithful. And I'm nowhere near that. And you may be wondering, should you be there? And here's what I would say is that what's amazing is when you start listening to God, when you start getting to know him, the nervousness about being passionate, about seeing others trust and follow him, the, the nervousness and the anxiety of, should I open up my mouth right now and say that I might go to church or say that, that I'm, I'm in a growing relationship with God or, or, or I, 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 to let that care and compassion consume. Because sometimes we don't want to be overwhelmed and overcome by care for people because it's easier to keep people at a distance. It, it, it's, it's easier to, to, to keep people at a distance because then you won't be let down. And people won't let you down. And so, so sometimes it's easier to just kind of not care, to, to compartmentalize life and say, oh, just, just keep it there, stay nice and eat there. So then when I walk into this space, it's right and it's good and I don't have to care. But what happens is when you exist in a growing relationship with Jesus, you can't help but care for people to be at, made peace with God and with others. And what's amazing is that, is that it may seem harder and deeper, but it will be transformative. And what's so hard is it's the kind where you don't, of passion, the, the kind of excitement, the kind of care for people that you almost don't even want to celebrate too early. Charles called me last night at the end of the Michigan game, football game, and he said, man, how you feeling? They're up 28-3. And I said, as I sat there, man, I'm not celebrating yet. I'm not celebrating. Quit, quit trying to congratulate me. 
Guys, it's too early. They could still screw it up. They could still blow it until the clock hits zeros. I'm not going to jump for joy. And, it, you know, he's teasing me. Oh, come on. They, they've got it. They've got it in the bag. And it's, I'm sitting there on the couch and all tense. And the reason I'm tense, the reason I'm nervous in that moment is because I care deeply about my Michigan Wolverines winning that football game. And I'm vulnerable because they might let me down. They might screw it up because past tells me they might and they... Thankfully, they didn't. So I, I did get the fist bump. I did, I did get to celebrate. But what happens is when you care deeply about something, when you recognize that there is a peace that comes from God and you want others in your life to experience that and to see that and live that, is you actually open yourself up to being vulnerable. And when you become vulnerable, you are open to fatal wounds where people might let you down where you care and you open yourself up, you expose yourself a little more than you feel comfortable. And in that moment, people may let you down, and in some cases they might. But the hope that we have is even if the wound is fatal, it's the miracle of a resurrection and restoration that we have to trust. Because, see, on the other side of that fatal wound is a resurrection. That's the hope that we have in Jesus, is that he laid down his life for us, that he was vulnerable for us, that he came from heaven to earth for us and opened himself up. And then on the other side of death, of the, on the other side of hurt and pain, there was a resurrection, a new life. There is a comeback story that the most creative minds think is too far-fetched to even write about. And so that's my hope for Generation Church. That's the hope that I have, is that we be people who are at, so at peace with God that we can be vulnerable and open ourselves up to others, knowing that the peace that we have with others, that might break down, that might be scary, we might be tense and nervous as I was there sitting on that couch in that football game, but we can't help but put ourselves out there once again to trust, to love, to extend an olive branch, to work towards wholeness. So that when something in your life, when it goes awry, that the person that you call that says, help me understand, help me navigate this, is someone within the church. That is my hope that the people that we want to call when stuff hits the fan, we cannot help but call someone who's our brother and sister of Christ, so someone who is a part of God's family, that has, that, that has got his sh shaped and crafted that for us to go from just strangers to friends, to that family, to where we need people and we know there are people who are willing to sit with us. Not because even you're maybe the best of friends, but because they will look at you with the love and compassion and share the good news with you again that there is hope, that there is a comeback story, that no one is too far gone, no situation is too dire. Taken with the picture in the first song, the success of the servant will not come by political or military action, but by becoming a light to the nations.
to be the light for you and me. And here the servant practices hope as he desires to make peace. He works with the reality of his ward, reward coming in eternity. I just want to reaffirm and share this once again. The effort to extend, to be vulnerable, to care, to risk without hope is exhausting. Pursuing peace without an eternal purpose is exhausting. You may, it may feel like you're just trying to pull a lever and get all sevens on that slot machine. If you do not have an eternal purpose in mind, if there is not a hope of a true comeback story, if there's not a, a hope of a resurrection on the other side of death, extending yourself, exerting effort, pursuing people, helping people navigate the true peace that comes from knowing the love of Jesus will get exhausting and you'll burn out. And the wick of the candle of the fire that burned within your heart to share and to be will be extinguished. What the beautiful hope is, is that even as that flame dies out, God wants to fan the fire within inside our soul with an eternity that says you have an eternal reward. See, in the everyday grind, we work for peace. Purpose isn't only to work for peace now. Your purpose is to point to the person of peace, to the everlasting peace, to the one who is faithful and has promised you a reward. See, you can keep going. You can keep your eyes up. You can love and live. You can link arms with others because of an everlasting peace that has been promised to you through Jesus. And while people profit off the brokenness of this world, so when the servant tries to bring peace, when he tries to bring people back to God, he is at war with those who like it comfortable, who in an absence of conflict, who want to profit off humanity's innate desire for wholeness. See, the reality is that there's only one who can make you complete. And he's willing to fight the sin and suffering and shame in your life to make you whole. He wants to move to create peace, to, to, to bring wholeness and completeness to your life. And the only question is, will you fight the one who is fighting for your peace? Or will you bow down and join him to work? To stand on his side, will you fight him or will you join him? To stand on his side and toil and love and plea and stay engaged in the work. Knowing full well that you may not see success. Yet the peacemaking mission, the one that you are on, the one that you are invited to be a part of, will be a light to the nations. Because the very light has come into the world, that it resides in you. So do not lose heart. I don't know where you're at today. And you may stare up here at me and hear some of these words and maybe occasionally glance over to the candle with the flame. Some of you may be dis discouraged or going through a difficult time. My hope and my prayer for you is that as God has moved in Jesus to bring peace, the flame of passion to love and serve and be precisely where he has put you gets stoked anew. That you have a revived spirit. 
that says, the reward is worth it. I may not see success. I may not see things change in the short term. But I know there is an eternal hope. There is an eternal reward that's worth pursuing. See, in the everyday grind, we work for peace. In the everyday grind, we wait for peace. There is a man in the New Testament named Simeon. And he had to wait on the Lord. And his story is written in the account of Luke, chapter 2. As he, Luke writes about Jesus' life. And he includes this story of Simeon. And I just want to read this to you. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout. He worked for the Lord, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, and the thoughts of the hearts may be revealed. Simeon had to wait on the Lord. He had to know that, that God was coming and that he was going to show up in flesh. And God gave him a special revelation that said, you will see God in flesh. But that didn't stop Simeon from showing up to the temple, from being devout, from living, for, from, for living with God and for God. So in the everyday grind, there are going to be moments of difficulty where we don't see that breakthrough. But may we take the posture of Simeon, who says, I will work for the Lord. I will work with God, knowing that I will also have to wait for his promises to be revealed. See, in the everyday grind, we work for peace. In the everyday grind, we wait for peace, like two pedals on a bicycle. We work and we wait. We work and we wait. Living day by day. Advocating. Loving. Serving. Being vulnerable. Opening ourselves up. Knowing that we will see moments of temporary breakthrough, but we won't also see the full breakthrough yet. To work and wait. Knowing that as we work, we join with Jesus. And waging war on sin and death and pain. And in that second stroke, we also wait for the true restoration of the world. Where sin and suffering and pain will be dealt with and eradicated. Where the world will be made new. Jesus came to wage war on that sin, death, and suffering for 
your peace. And that is the way that we join in this mission, is remembering the light of the world resides in those who follow him. We work and we wait. We work for completeness and wholeness and we wait for the world to be made complete. Right now, you may be wrestling with that longing in your heart. God, I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm working and I'm not seeing. I encourage you to continue to wait, to continue to trust that God is on the move and he proved it to us in Jesus. And for some of you, you may be nervous or too anxious to move. And so you're sitting there waiting. And the work that he invites you to is to be vulnerable, to open yourself up, to hang in there and to not lose heart because the sin and suffering and shame in your life will be dealt with. That in the promise of Jesus coming first and the prophesied servant who shows us that it was Jesus who comes to bring light and salvation to all, we can then respond in our everyday life. By being peacemakers, working and living to bring wholeness and restoration to people's lives once again. Let's pray. God, you are good. And I am thankful for the hope of total completeness once again. May we believe that peace is not just simply the absence of conflict or the the tolerance of others. But it's found in you. Speak to our hearts this morning with the words that we need to hear. Help us to trust and love. God, forgive us when we think we can do this on our own. Show us the light. Help us to know that the light within us through your Holy Spirit, through your power, is what will bring the true and total completeness, the the peace that we so desperately desire. Thank you for that hope and for the reality of everlasting peace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.